that's what I think we, we have to spend our effort on, is maturing and developing ways to evaluate security solutions. So that, and, and that also includes, you know, getting more people in the industry who are capable, who understand the fundamentals of, of the industry, who understand the technology, and who can, who can evaluate those tools, who can say that, mm-hmm. hey, this thing, it's, this thing works, this thing doesn't. Until we get that, uh, what any purchasing decision is going to be a decision where you're comparing promises from two different vendors. And as long as that's the case, then you cannot truly, like you cannot get to the point where, you know, there is no FUD because it's all how you feel, right? Oh, I feel more secure with this vendor because they've got, you know, their colors are more calming. And that's really how it often is. Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience, listen to and talk with your buyers, and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? All right. Welcome to another episode of Audience First. Today is a special day because I have a very special guest with me. I have the one and only Ross Haliluk on. How's it going, Ross? It is fantastic. Thank you so much, Danny. Super happy to be here. I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time, so it's awesome to finally make it and become one of the one of the guests. I love it. Yeah, you're an early listener, and I'm a, an early reader of your subscription blog slash newsletter. So uh, we are both fans of each other, and I'm super happy that we finally got to uh, schedule time and get on the podcast today. So thanks for for coming on. Likewise. All right. So, Ross, you know the drill. Let's go. Let's get into it. Who are you? What do you do? And why the hell do you do it? Ah, so uh, I'm an operator. I'm a builder. I'm somebody who enjoys building, uh, whether we are talking about companies, product, relationships, communities. I, I, I thrive and I truly enjoy just getting things together like, and, and making them happen. Uh, today, I, I wear multiple hats. So I'm a head of product at Lima Charlie. Uh, which is a cybersecurity startup. I'm an author at Venture and Security. I recently published a book, which we're going to be talking uh, about uh, later today. Uh, I call it an angel syndicate for security practitioners uh, to invest in early stage startups. Uh, I do some start- some advising with, with, with security startups. So multiple hats, if I may put it that way. That's it? That's all you do? I mean, come on. I, there is, you could do there more. Is, but- <laughs> uh, there is a bit more, but uh, for the purposes of this conversation, let's center yeah. on security-related stuff. Uh, yeah, I, you know, what? Why do I do it? it? It is such a good question. You see, I, I like to be on the edge of innovation. I like to, like, I love people in the industry, and all of it is just drives me to be as active as uh, as I can be. Yeah, I love that, and it really um, spills over into a lot, a lot of what you're writing in in venture and security. Um, I want to dig into why you also created Venture and Security a little bit more deeply because I, f- I find it super valuable. I mean, to me, it seems valuable not just for the founders, but for the marketers, the salespeople, even the practitioners. So what was your motivation for building that up? 
Yeah, so Benjamin Franklin once said, uh, like, write something worth uh, reading or do something worth writing about. And for me, like, that's probably, uh, I, I never thought of it as an official motto for what I do, but I, I would totally use it as, as one of the quotes that sort of underpin a lot of, a lot of my work. And so uh, I guess to answer, to answer this question, I think I need to start before it all began, like way before uh, venture insecurity became a thing. Uh, so uh, probably similar to you, I'm a generalist. Like I've worked across a number of different industries. I started in e-commerce, then I was in retail, wholesale, financial technology in both B2B and B2C uh, space, and then ended up in cybersecurity. And the way I ended up in cybersecurity is kind of, uh, I don't know if it's unique, but it is, it is different. Uh, I had a friend and a co-founder of Lima Charlie reach out to me and ask if I would be interested in joining to lead product. And when that happened, I was super excited. Like I was interested in cybersecurity uh, prior to it. I've been, you know, I've been reading some stuff about the industry. I, I was quite fascinated about, about the space and, and the, the opportunities it, it brings and also the challenges that need to be solved. So I met the founders. I had a fantastic conversation about, you know, about the space. And then I went home and I started reading about the industry. Like I, I just went super, super deep into trying to understand the space, trying to understand what are different trends shaping the industry. And ultimately, after a couple of hours, I, I called my friend. Well, I, I emailed my friend and, friend and I said, you know what? I'm not going to do this. <laughs> this is crazy. Like this is, this is an insane industry. And he was like, oh my God, what do you mean? And for me, you know, for somebody coming outside of security, when, whenever I was first uh, faced with, with the reality of the industry, what I saw was MDR, MDR, XDR, same source, CSPM, DSPM, uh, you know, DLP, and, and you name it. So there was just so much, like so many abbreviations, so many terms that I needed to understand. And it just, it just became confusing. You know, I've moved uh, from one industry to another before, like that part hasn't been new. What was new is just, is this additional complexity. And at the time I was like, well, I don't know if I can do this. I genuinely don't. Like there is, there is a lot for me to handle. Uh, ultimately, I, what I came to realize after some time is that I always enjoyed complexity and it would be dumb of me to just say no to an opportunity simply because it sounds more complex than, you know, than I initially anticipated. So I said, yes. And, uh, that's how I joined Lima Charlie. When I ended up in, in the industry, what I also understood very quickly was that because I'm new, I need to get myself up to speed as quickly as possible. So I started talking to, to a lot of people. I started attending different events. I was reading books and articles and blogs and, and listening to podcasts. And I, I spent a lot of time looking at tools, like again, being in product, uh, looking at different products, like what they offer, how they work. Uh, and very quickly, uh, I, I found a way to break down the complexity into something that I could understand, something that I could make sense of. And like fast forward, probably six months, you know, like a year uh, into like in, into the industry, I, I ended up having, you know, tens and hundreds of different, uh, you know, pages and uh, Google Docs and, and, you know, pieces of paper lying on my on my desk with, with different thoughts and ideas and, you know, uh, connections that I, I, I would have made between different, you know, uh, 
concepts, different terms, different uh, trends in the industry. And at a certain point, I was like, well, if it took me like so much effort, like days and nights and weekends, like to piece all of it together, there may be some other people in the industry who would benefit from it. And so that's how I wrote the uh, first article. I did it on Medium, so like the intent has never been to, you know, to start my own blog. I did it on Medium and people responded incredibly well. So I looked at what, what happened and I was like, well, that's nice. I guess I have more of it, so why don't I share more? And over time, you know, I, I, I moved over to Substack. I started my own blog and uh, then I saw 500 people signed up. And I said, well, that's nice. I guess somebody is interested in cybersecurity. That's great. Uh, although a lot of those were, were my friends and people who knew me, I started to write more. And then, you know, another thousand people signed up. And then it was two and three and four and five and, and seven and 10. And at a certain point, I just ended up having a blog. So the, a recurring weekly or bi-weekly blog has never been the goal. But when I saw that people were actually reading and people were interested in it. I just decided, you know what? Like, let's double down on what works and let's just spend some time over the weekend putting the blog together. Like some, I do meet some people in the industry who somehow assume that this is what I'm focused on and this is my job, but it's my Saturday Sunday project. Well, I, I think they assume that because you put a great amount of detail and thought and structure into... And, and evidence into each and every one of your posts. I mean, if you really drill down into your posts, I mean, these are not 500 word articles. This is sure. upwards of 1,500 plus words. I mean, these are well thought out topics that are 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 you know deep pains and challenges that we as as go to market practitioners feel, um, or founders or you know security practitioners. But I really, what I really appreciate about the the blog is the fact that you're backing it up with a lot of data. Um, you're you're sourcing to different uh, pieces of um, of knowledge that we could, you know, drill down to even even more deeply. And uh, you break it down. You you do a really good job breaking down the concepts. To your point, you wanted to create something that you would understand, right? And yeah. so. It's really evident in how you write and, and your, your thoughtful process is very prominent there. And, and I, I appreciate that as someone who's trying, who's, who's essentially a, an audience researcher. I really appreciate this. This is a, an absolute great resource for me. So well Thank you. done. Yeah, I, I find that, you know, uh, Paul Graham once said an amazing, an amazing uh, quote. He says that uh, many, people, many people say that it's very hard to hire a, a good copywriter. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, because apparently there are not, there are not many good writers. And his response to that was, uh, no, 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 you're missing the point. It is hard to find the clear thinker because many people are not clear thinkers and good writing is just a reflection of that. It's just a reflection mm. of clear thinking. And so for me, again, I don't consider myself, you, you know, to be the, the absolutely best, uh, you know, writer out there. And frankly, that isn't the goal. What, what the goal often is, is to. Like take the complexity that people face and just explain it in simple words. Like if I'm, if I'm somebody who is absolutely new to the industry, or if I'm a practitioner who has never, uh, who has never been either interested or, or exposed to the go-to-market in the industry, or if I'm a security, you know, if I'm a go-to-market practitioner, if I'm a go, if I'm a marketer or, or a sales 
uh, person or you know a sales engineer, but I have never been exposed to the to to the actual like doing security. Like, what do I need to know? And the answer often is that well, wherever I need to know, I need to consume in such a way that I just I get it. And frankly, for me, one of the reasons why why it why a lot of what I write ends up being so uh, like granular and also somewhat simple to 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 read is because I'm not a deeply technical security practitioner either. So when I talk about the problems that it took me hours and hours to understand, I uh, like I try to make them as digestible for others as possible as well. I love that. I mean, that, that's that's a goal of I think of a lot of people who are uh, deep thinkers, who are curious, and and who appreciate kind of pushing the boundaries a little bit in terms of 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 what needs to be digested, how it needs to be digested. I mean, pushing the boundaries in a way of of not being complex to your point and pushing the boundaries of what is simple, being as simple as possible. And again, I, I really appreciate this resource. I'm going to be following it and digesting it um, for many years to come. Now, I want to shift the conversation a, a little bit. Yeah, no, go for it. No, I, I, oh, like what, what I wanted to say is that you do something quite similar. So I'm sure you can relate. Like instead of yeah. going super deep into like the marketing and the customer research buzzwords, like you're just talking about the problems the way they are. So yeah, 100. Um, percent So I, I want to sh- shift the conversation. And you you mentioned something actually uh, quite interesting. Um, I'm going to noodle on that a little bit. You said that you're not very uh, very technical. You're not deeply technical. Um, you know, you're. Uh, and here here's why why I find this compelling because despite the fact that you're not deeply technical, you've been able to master knowledge about a an industry and a space that is seemingly technical not only that you've been able to become quite respected and known on the practitioner side as well despite the fact that you're not deeply technical so i just find that it's interesting that you've been able to establish those relationships and build that trust and credibility amongst a technical audience as well and I'll just drop that there and see if you have any comments regarding that. Sure, I definitely do. So first of all, let me like let me let me uh, adjust the statement I made. Okay. So when I when I say that I am not deeply technical, what I truly mean is I have like I have spent over a decade in the software space building technology with with software engineering teams. When I say so I, I do have a good understanding of, of, of technology and how it works. And when I say I'm not deeply technical, what I mean is I am not like I'm not an, an incident responder. Like yes. I'm not a security mm-hmm. engineer. So I'm not somebody who, who is like super, super deep in there. But frankly, uh, I think like you are right to, uh, to, to, to uh, you know, to a high degree. I was able to build a good, good relationship and good network among practitioners. But frankly, I think the reason why uh, and the reason why it has it has worked tremendously well for me is because one, I don't try to pretend that I know any more than I actually do. Yeah. So you know, I don't come into the into the room uh, with like you know, super smart face and just trying to make statements about words that I don't <laughs> fundamentally understand. And uh, like I try to call out the boundaries. You know, if somebody approaches me and starts talking about you know what happens on the Linux kernel, there are very high chances that I'm not going to be either interested or I'm not going to be able to comprehend the complexity of or like of, of wherever I'm being explained. But also, I find that security practitioners, they're just regular people. They're similar to, you know, to you and me. And like, if you, if you 
uh, approach them as people first, if you treat them as people first, if you are just not being an asshole, which I know already sounds like a high bar for many people in the industry <laughs> uh, and in, in, in the world in general. But if you're just, you know, if you come with, with an open mind and if you're willing to, especially if you're willing to ask questions and if you're willing to learn, you will always get, get that trust. You know, you, I, I'm a big believer that you don't actually have to be like a deeply technical security practitioner to understand the industry. You absolutely don't. You need to be able to ask the right questions and you need to have the people, you need to surround yourself with people who are capable of answering those questions in such a way that you can understand. And I find that the more senior, the more experienced the person, the security person is, the more likely they're actually able of, able to, you know, uh, dissect all of their knowledge and, and, and share it in such a manner that, you know, a, a sixth grader can, can, can get what they're talking about. Do you think that there's a stigma in this space with regards to the accessibility of security practitioners for founders, go-to-market teams, marketers, sellers, what's above, below, in between? Well, I think, so a lot, a lot comes down to the incentives at play in my view. And, and frankly, I like, I, I like talking about incentives in general because uh, they like, they are what to, to, to a large degree shapes any industry and cybersecurity is not an exception. Uh, so what I mean by that is, and you know, in the ideal universe, uh, cybersecurity founders would be looking to solve impactful problems for people who experience those problems, right? And do it in such a way that ma makes it possible for, for uh, the person who, experience, uh, who experiences a problem to evaluate the solution, to understand how exactly it can solve uh, their problem, to, you know, to, to try it, to see how it works, uh, to see where the gaps may be, and so on and so forth. And, and if that's the relationship you have uh, with, between uh, founders and practitioners, I think it's a very healthy relationship. The challenge in cybersecurity, what I see quite often, is that many founders are not solving impactful problems. Many founders are building tools. And they're so, so in love with tools over the problems that whenever they do approach that poor practitioner, the conversation is very one-sided. It's, it's, not, it's not a dialogue where a founder is trying to understand the complexity of, you know, of, of the organization's environment or the needs of the specific team. It is a founder who is there to sell their tool. And, and all they're talking about is their product. So I think there is... There is a very, like, there is a very fine line uh, when it comes to just building relationships between, you know, founders and security practitioners. It is, like, it is not easy, primarily because there is this perception uh, that if you are a founder or if you work on the vendor side, you're immediately just going to jump into, you know, into the, the pitch and you meeting a new person or connecting with somebody on LinkedIn is going to be, you know, is going to follow uh, like a, a shit storm of messages and, and, and like there is that assumption like 100% but I do think that the more the longer you are in the industry and the more you're able to show that you are not an insane salesperson who's just <laughs> not interested about, about people like who, who, who is not interested in people and who is just interested in pushing your tools the easier it becomes you know like for you for example I, I bet if you approach a security practitioner at this point and if they have, you know, a friend or a friend of a friend uh, who knows you, or if they've seen, you know, your podcast and they've seen your take on the industry, they're probably not going to be scared uh, 
you know, connecting and, and, and engaging with you. But that it takes a lot of intent. And, and it, when you're a founder, especially in cybersecurity, when you're a founder, when you're not solving an impactful problem that many people urgently need to solve and many people are willing to pay for solving, you get desperate very quickly about getting that attention and you start looking for shortcut, shortcuts and you assume that sending, you know, 65 emails per day to security people on LinkedIn is a shortcut. And, and that's where things start to break down because many mm -hmm. people are desperate. Like, mm -hmm. they, they, they need to grow. Like they want to see the numbers go up and to the right and they don't. And instead of challenging the underlying core assumptions upon which their business is built, they're starting to, you know, to frantically trying to see, oh my God, what, what can I do? And the spam, spam, spam. That, that, yeah. I, I know, I know this is one of the problems we're going to be talking about, but that's really my take on it. No, I love, I love that. And, and in, I want to kind of go back to, um, you know, your involvement in the security community. Um, we've bumped into each other quite a few times in, in, uh, some of the more closed door security events. Uh, invite only. Uh, we kind of know the lowdown there, but I want to. I want to get your your take on any surprising insights that you've uncovered in your involvement in the security community. Like hanging out with the practitioners, what have you learned that has been a bit of a surprise that you didn't think uh, that even you didn't never thought about before? That is a good question. You see, I I don't. I don't think I will be able to somehow, you know, come up with, with, with an incredibly new list of, uh, of learnings here. But uh, to start, I think the part that was probably the most surprising to me is uh, just seeing how much of the industry is focused on trying to listen to CISOs and mm -hmm. have little attention is being paid to people who are doing the work. And uh, the reason that part surprises me because with any product, with any solution, even if you're looking at the industry from the very, very pragmatic standpoint, you have, you have economical buyers and you have the users, right? And so only focusing on and only paying attention to the needs of economical buyers is, is not going to, like, it's not going to work tremendously well. Like the startup is inevitably going to like solve the problem for one of the two uh, personas that, that are critical to the success of their solution. And for me, it's almost like it's mind boggling how many, like how much attention there is uh, directed on CISOs, like how many CISOs are just being chased by vendors and how, how they're surrounded by like tens and hundreds of different companies craving for their attention. Like while the people doing the work uh, again, by no means I'm not saying they're more accessible, but their opinion and their perspective is equally important. And yet you really see, unless, so the, the, the one exception I, I would want to, I would want to call out are companies started by security practitioners themselves. A company started by people who are still, you know, who have probably been a security engineer or a security architect in their previous job. And now they're focusing on, on, on building something new. Those companies do tend to find a good balance between the buyers and the and the users, and and the amount of of effort they they put into, you know, connecting with them and understanding their needs. But aside from it, uh, very few do. The second piece, which I don't, I don't think it's surprising, but it's somewhat unfortunate, 
is the degree to which we have accustomed and we have become numb to the fad, the, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt and that in the industry. Not the degree to which it is common, like not, not that, but the degree to which we now consider this to be a norm. You know, uh, there are different behaviors seen in different industries. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. But for the most part, people, people like the buyers and, and the participants within the industry are somehow trying to, you know, trying to reject, like whether it's consciously or unconsciously, the, the practices in the industry that they don't like. In cybersecurity, however, we have almost embraced that this is the way it is, and this is the way it's going to be, and the best we can do is to just, you know, just suck it up and, <laughs> and live with it. To me, it is still, sur it is still somewhat surprising. Probably not, not, not as much as the first part, but it is surprising. And the last part, frankly, uh, it is surprising to me how much we as an industry are trying to reinvent the wheel and how little context do we have about what's happening outside of security and how it can affect what we do in the industry. Hmm. So what I mean by that is most of the advancements in cybersecurity come from outside of cybersecurity. It's, and again, this, this, this isn't anything that makes security unique. Like when you think about the, you know, the, the, the technology itself, things like infrastructure as code greatly predate detections as code and security as code and policies as code and like all of that. Infrastructure as code is not, is not a cybersecurity invention. When it comes to the go-to-market, like bottom-up adoption, uh, you know, the practitioner-focused uh, marketing, uh, you know, the, the idea of building communities and community-led growth, like all of that, none of it, like none of it was invented in cybersecurity. Like the tech space is much, is much broader than security. Yeah. When it comes to product, for example, they need to focus on user experience and the fact that uh, companies in B2B are starting to expect the B2C experiences more and more often. That's not new to cybersecurity. That has been happening to to, to many other uh, to many other uh, industries as well. Like the time when the users and the buyers would have had enough hours in their day to go through technical and support documentation and learn how to use a specific feature. That time is gone. Like products mm -hmm. have to be designed with user experience in mind. They have to be intuitive. They have to match the, the flow of, of, of security uh, professionals. Like a lot of the stuff that you talk about, like again, none of that is a cybersecurity invention, but we're still like knowing that all of those factors are true. We're still trying to treat security as this uh, like uh, absolutely unique uh, industry where we have to look at our problems and find a way to solve them, which I mean, I, I get why we're doing it, but at the same time, we, we have models outside of cybersecurity. Uh, that show us have the, have similar problems have been solved in different industries and where we can go with that. Mm -hmm. And yet, like we keep we keep sort of boiling in our own pot and we keep talking and ideating and trying to solve problems that sometimes it's just like turn your head to the left or to the right, like see what you know what your friends in software engineering are doing, what your friends in fintech are doing, what your friends in you know in in, in martech and marketing technology are doing. There are answers there. Some answers there, at least an inspiration, if not direct answers.
I, I I feel like I need another episode or two or three just to talk about this this phenomenon because like you know I I got sucked into this thinking early on in my tenure in this space that security is quite unique. I still believe security is the security sure. space is quite unique, but this is an interesting point that you're mentioning and it's getting me thinking about the way I do business as well and who I target and how I target and how I niche or break out. So this is, this is quite an interesting um, point you're making. Why do you think we, that this, this mindset though exists and, and people are, are failing or having trouble kind of turning their head to see what the solutions are outside of this space? Uh, I, I, I'm sure there are plenty of reasons. And frankly, I don't think you can pinpoint one, uh, like one and, and right. only. If I were to take a guess, like an absolutely uneducated guess, I would say that one of the reasons why that is the case is because the vast majority of the people who work in cybersecurity have sort of, they, they grew up in cybersecurity and they haven't had enough exposure to other, to other fields. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, whether, like, whether it's good or bad, it's, it's a second question. Like there is a lot of, you know, there, there are many good things that come, that come out of that fact, but I think we are still like the long story short, we are just starting to, uh, to get to the point where you can get a marketer from another industry, come into security and allocate enough time to truly like to learn security and to become good at it, like to, mm -hmm. to understand the needs of practitioners, to understand the needs of buyers. Historically, what you would get is either, you know, either people who have spent their whole career in one industry, and then you have this, this game of musical chairs where the same marketer was at this big company, they, they moved on to another big company, they moved on to another security startup, and then another security startup. And you look at the person's, like you look at the person's LinkedIn, or you look at the person's bio, and all they've ever done is cybersecurity marketing. And again, there is nothing wrong with that. The challenge is that all they've done is the same thing. They would go mm -hmm. from one company to another, then, you know, make sure that the company gets a booth at RSA or gets a booth at Blackhead, get a booth at any other conference. Like they would, they would design the same looking marketing materials. So they would just do the same thing because again, not because they were bad, bad professional, because that is the only thing they've ever seen in their life, mm -hmm. in their professional life. Mm -hmm. Or as an alternative to that, you would get the marketer who comes, or I'm using the word marketer here really as an example, but you can substitute marketer for, for anything else, who comes from a different industry and takes zero time to understand uh, cybersecurity. You would get somebody who was selling cars to, yesterday, today they're selling security, and tomorrow they might be selling you know, CRM, customer relationship management tools, and they just really don't care about, about getting that understanding. And only now, slowly, I'm starting to see people who have who are sort of in between, who have had some experiences from outside of cybersecurity, but who are committed enough to understand security when they, when, when they come. And those are the people, in my view, who have the ability to bring a different perspective because they've mm -hmm. seen how other industries work. They've seen some, some innovative ideas that, that work in other you know, markets, but they can also adapt them. They don't just apply them as templates but they can adapt them to, to, to the industry. So I think, and, and, and frankly, the same applies to, you know, to software engineering. 
where you've only been a software engineer in cybersecurity, your view of software engineering can be very different than if you've worked at different places and then you ended up in cybersecurity. Like if you, and, and even like similar, if you're a security practitioner who have only worked in one, like in one uh, vertical, like if you've only worked in, in a bank or at different banks throughout your career, the way you will see security will be very different than if you worked mm-hmm. in a, if you worked in, in a, in a, you know, a tech startup in a product company, and then you've worked in, you know, in, at, at the government institution. So mm-hmm. we need this diversity of experiences. And now I think we're starting to get to it, which, which again, it's, it's, it's just, it's just a natural evolution of the industry. So we can only get better from here. How do you suggest those people who have that diversity of experience and who are curious and who want to more deeply learn about the space and about the practitioners, um, how do you suggest they uh, bridge kind of the gap that's occurring in this industry between vendor and buyer? Ah, the gap? Tell me more. How do you, how do you see this? Well, gap? you know, wow, we don't have <laughs> enough time to talk about uh, how I see the gap, but, you know, uh, again, you have um, lack a large lack of access to buyers because of uh, poor behavior uh, across the sales and marketing side or the vendor side, but also I think poor behavior on the practitioner side. So there's that stigma of like, oh, just don't talk to me because you're gonna you're bucketed into this um, you know uh, uh, segment that's going to. Um, bug me and and you know pitch me right off the bat versus wanting to establish some kind of authentic relationship because because you're a marketer right or um, you're associated with this company and I've heard bad things about them but you may not be that bad of a salesperson right or marketer there are so many different reasons right um, that that stem from bad practices on both sides. How do we how do we kind of alleviate that or or close that gap just a little bit more? Yeah, that that is a good question. You see, I think I have a very different perspective, or at least somewhat different perspective. Well, tell, tell me about it. So you see, I think a part of the challenge that we we have to discuss is the fact that there there are not enough companies that have uh like there are not as many companies that have the people you're referring to as security buyers. Think about it from this perspective. Nine out of $10 in the enterprise sales in, uh, are spent through channel. I just, I, I read that on one of your articles. I love that. So, I, want, and, and I again, wanted to like, talk about that. Yeah. So uh, again, like, let's, like, let's, let's assume that some, like let's assume that a lot of the stats we see in the industry, they're going to be somewhat wacky. Like, let's just say, let's just say it's, it's seven out of 10. Like, let's be mm-hmm. general. Let's just say seven out of 10. So, you know, as well as I do, that the top, you know, Fortune 500 enterprises or Fortune 1000 enterprises, they typically have exclusive agreements, exclusive purchasing agreements with certain resellers that they, they, they work with, right? Mm-hmm. And yet they're also the ones who have the largest security budgets. So the ones who every single startup is trying to target. But they also have, like, they typically have access to, you know, to consulting firms, to the, you know, Big Four or, or however other consulting firms you, you, you prefer. They have access to resellers. They have access to like to, to decent security talent. Then, so if they don't, if, if a large percentage of them don't buy direct, 
then who, who, who does? Well, let me ask you this. How many CISOs do you think there are that have a decent enough security budget in their company for, to be interesting or attractive for, for a cybersecurity startup? The reality is it's actually not as many. The vast majority of like SMB, the SMB market, like it is really non-existent because SMBs, they like for non-existent for the vast majority of security startups, because SMBs, they either need an all-in-one SMB focused solution, which the majority of the enterprise, uh, enterprise first tools aren't, or they access their, their, their security expertise through consultants. They access it through VCSs, they access it through security practitioners and, and, and others like their, their IT, uh, you know, IT, uh, service providers and so on and so forth. So I'm going back to my question. How many qualified buyers of cybersecurity tools are there? It's not as many. We're probably talking about, I don't know, in the US, let's just say five to 10,000. So when you have as many potential buyers as you have vendors, it's kind of hard for the buyers to not get overwhelmed. So fundamentally, yes. even though we talk about security market in terms of numbers and we say how many like billions or trillions or wherever people, like wherever numbers of people are using these days uh, to describe the security market uh, there are, the reality is that there is a really fairly small number of companies that, that can buy, can purchase security tools. And now imagine that each of those companies is getting bombarded by, by, by security vendors. So obviously it's hard. But I think that is not the biggest issue. Like I, I, I sort of, I acknowledge that. I, I do think it's, it's, I don't know if it's a problem, but it's, it's a factor. It is how the market really looks like. I think what truly is a problem is the fact that we as an industry do not currently have, well, cybersecurity is a market characterized by a very high asymmetry of information. So no buyers can accurately assess the, the security tools on the market. They don't know what value they offer. They don't know if they actually work. They don't know like what they bring to the table. And sellers can make whichever claims they want to without really ever having to, you know, having to uh, like offer a proof. Because again, there is no easy way to evaluate those tools. And I think that's really, that's really the, the, the core issue with cybersecurity. It's not that there are too many tools, like not, Really, it's not that there are too many startups. Not really. In fact, I, I I have an article coming up in the coming weeks talking about the fact that we don't have enough startups and we need more VC funding in the industry. But you know, I I have my own contrarian takes on the space. Uh, I think the issue is that we do not have as an industry an easy way for buyers to evaluate security tools because uh, it's just it's just how it works, right? Uh, we. Security teams are not mature enough. They don't have the right capabilities. But also, security is just very hard to evaluate. Like if you're buying, let's just say you're, you're looking at vendor A versus vendor B, how do you know which of those two tools is going to offer a better level of protection? How do you know which of those two tools is going to offer a better level of protection two weeks from now when the, trend la the threat landscape would have changed? You don't. And because there is no easy way to evaluate it, we're going for, like, we're just looking at the vendor market and we're saying, like, yeah, this, you know, there seems to be some, <laughs> I'm just going to go this, 
people because, you know, the salesperson was nicer to me and, you know, like their brand looks more solid and their booth at the RSA was bigger. And, and that, like, that's really the challenge. If we did have, see, if, if there was a better way to evaluate security tools, then a lot of fat and a lot of bullshit we have in the industry, it would just naturally get self-selected out. But it doesn't because the difference between, an, you know, an XDR from, from a vendor that has a team of, you know, 600 researchers and detections engineer and the difference, the difference between that tool and a tool that's built by two people in, you know, in a garage, it's very hard to evaluate. And by, by no means am I saying that either of those two is better or more people means a better technology. But what I'm saying is just, how do you, how do you prove it? And so that's what I really think. That's what I think we, we have to spend our effort on is maturing and developing ways to evaluate security solutions. So that, and, and that also includes, you know, getting more people in the industry who are capable, who understand the fundamentals of, of the industry, who understand the technology and who can, who can evaluate those tools, who can say that, mm -hmm. hey, this thing, it's, this thing works, this thing doesn't. Until we get that, uh, what any purchasing decision is going to be a decision where you're comparing promises from two different vendors. And as long as that's the case, then you cannot truly, like you cannot get to the point where, you know, there is no FUD because it's all how you feel, right? Oh, I feel more secure with this vendor because they've got, you know, their colors are more calming. And, and that's really how it often is. You're dropping some truth bombs here. I don't know if people are going to be able to handle it. Oh, I love it though. This is good. Um, oh man, we're, we're, we're cutting it short here with time, but I want to get into that uh, deeper. Again, we might have to do a part two here, Ross. Sure. I want to make some time uh, to talk about. Um, I mean, the... to be fair, you know, just yeah. like let me let me let 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 me add a few a few more uh, thoughts to it. I think that we are getting better. I think we yeah. are maturing, and I think I think that buyers need to continue doing what they what they've started doing. They need to go to their peer, peer networks uh, for feedback about vendors. They need to take it to social media when, when, when uh, vendors and companies don't live up to their promises. Like, if there is no easy way for us to evaluate tools, then at the very least, we can emphasize those, feed, those peer sharing feedback mechanisms where people can share with others, like the experiences they've had, you know, the challenges they've run into so that they can make, they can make more infor, infor, informed decisions. Uh, at the same time, I'm going to assume that eventually we'll get lawsuits where a vendor who has been promising a 100% security and to stop 100% of all the breaches and APTs will be challenged in court for not doing so. I think eventually it, it will happen. And when it does happen, it may start to change a bit in how we market and how we position our security tools. Because the challenge right now is that you go, you go on any vendor's website and if you just, if you just, I read uh, through their marketing materials. Every any single vendor is going to stop 100%. You know, breaches prevent 100% of uh, advanced persistent threats. You know, deal with zero days and just you know offer 100 100% uh, confidence that you are going to be safe and secure. Obviously, that is not the reality we live in. And eventually, that marketing is going to mature. The same way, you know, there was a time when in healthcare. A vendor could claim literally anything. You know, you drink this pill, you're going to live for 600 years. Now there are some regulations <laughs> and some constraints 
and some liability exposures whenever that happens. So a lot of it, see, I don't see it as like, oh my God, we need to save the industry. I see it as every industry goes through its natural you know, evolution. It's unfortunate to sometimes see just how many more years it will take for us to get where, where many other industries uh, are. But at the same time, it makes me hopeful that by the time, you know, I'm going to be retiring or, you know, or being in my 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, however long people are going to live, the industry will look much better. So that's, that's optimistic. And this is good timing because I just got an email from you about your new book. Oh, you did? Cyber. I literally just got an email now available yes. on Amazon. Cyber for Builders. That Tell me more. I, yes. What is Cyber for Builders? What is this book? Tell me about that. Why did you write it? Yeah. So, uh, like, over the past several years, I've accumulated a lot of knowledge about the industry, about the way companies, uh, the way companies are built, like what works, what doesn't. And I see that knowledge as, founda- as a foundation for anyone building companies in the space. At the same time, I've advised a, a number of companies. I evaluated even, even a higher, even more companies uh, during the due, di- due diligence as an angel investor. And what I've seen is that people tend to repeat the same mistakes and people tend to do the same things over and over and over again. So Cyber for Builders is uh, it's a fairly short, well, it ended up being longer than I wanted to. It's about like 240 or so pages book about building a cybersecurity company. Uh, the, there are uh, six chapters, like six parts. Uh, it starts by looking at the industry, by discussing different, uh, different players in the industry and how they contribute to the overall ecosystem. It looks at different types of investors and what founders needs, need to know. It looks at different types of oh, founders and marketers and VCs and, and, and builders, like literally anybody who is looking to build or help build a cybersecurity company. So it's looking at different players in the industry, uh, have they all come together, like what, what incentives drive their, drive their behaviors, uh, have to work with each of those, have to leverage what they have to offer. It then goes on to talk about some of the vendors uh, seen in the industry, uh, sorry, some of the vendors, some of the trends seen in mm-hmm. the industry and have those trends uh, contribute to the overall, you know, to the, have those trends shape the future of the cybersecurity space. And then from there, it talks about building the company and what it looks like to, to do the, to, to go through the ideation in cybersecurity, what it looks to go through, you know, building a product, how to assemble the team, what are some of the, you know, potential founder profiles and how to, you know, like have to evaluate if, if you're going to be able to work with this person. And if this person is a good fit for specifically building a cybersecurity company. And, and then it goes on and on, you know, to talk about fundraising and, and, and go-to-market and different mm-hmm. go-to-market strategies and have to think about go-to-market from the first principles as opposed to just, oh, how do we get CISO into a demo? So a lot, like a lot of those, a lot of those, uh, you know, somewhat obvious for people who have been in the industry and who have built a lot of, comp- like many companies in the industry, but also uh, useful, uh, you know, materials for people who are either uh, practitioners looking to to start their own companies, or maybe marketers looking to uh, you know uh, thinking about the go to market strategy and have to have to take their startup to the next level. Investors looking to uh, find a way to evaluate uh, what cy- what cybersecurity companies are actually promising and solving the right problems. So 
again, the angle is cyber for builders. Mm, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I'm excited to drill down into that. Um, I, I mean, here we go. We have contributions by 50 plus cybersecurity entrepreneurs, operators, thought leaders, and investors. I love and this. This is thank you. Well, phenomenal. Danny, you know, you, you forgot to mention that your contribution is one of those. Well, so, I'm trying to stay humble here. I'm trying to stay uh, humble. Yeah. No, it is it is exciting. Yes, over over 50 people have contributed in some form uh, to the book. Uh, the four words are written by Caleb Saima and Jeremiah Groisman, two people who have who are really known very very well in the industry as as fantastic entrepreneurs and and champions of the innovation in, in security. So I, I'm excited to 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 help people, and I'm also excited to get as much feedback as as possible about the book. Well, I can't wait to get my hands on that. I'm gonna order the hard hard copy. I want to know what's your favorite chapter and why. Uh, I frankly don't know what my favorite chapter is. I, you know, I would like to just spit something smart, but I, <laughs> I think the part about the part about different trends in the industry is probably the most the most interesting. But that's just because. A a large part of those trends are something that I see is is happening already, but then but also not a small part are trends that I'm I'm seeing the beginnings for, but I'm hoping that are going to accelerate and really uh, increase the uh, change the way the industry functions in some forms. I love it. I love it. Well, this is has been super insightful for me. And like I said, we we likely have to do a part two because there are a lot of things we touched on and didn't have enough time to to drill down into. But before we sign off today, uh, Ross, is there anything you want to impart on the audience today? No, I I mean, if, if you're interested in building cybersecurity companies or what it takes to build one uh, or what it takes to succeed with one or what it takes to evaluate a, a good investment, get get cyber for builders get your copy on amazon uh check out the blog i you know i try to be consistent and, and do it weekly sometimes i do it bi-weekly but uh, in general i i obviously it probably doesn't sound too humble but i do think it's a great source about the business of cybersecurity. and definitely come back to audience first and and check out what danny is is, is offering and all the wealth of information and knowledge she distills uh, through her insights and and by talking to hands of CISOs and security practitioners. Well, Ross, thank you. Thank you for the shout out as well. I appreciate it. And thank you for listening and being in it. Uh, you're an advocate at this point. I mean, you, I think since day one, you've been following and, and consuming the information. So I appreciate that. And thanks again for joining me today. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, this has been another episode of Audience First. We are out. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.